Welcome to Indiana Family Forum. Indiana Family Forum is brought to you by American Family Association of Indiana. Now here's the host of our podcast, Micah Clark. Well, welcome back to Indiana Family Forum. This is Micah Clark, the director of the American Family Association. Appreciate you joining us today. Recently, the Indiana General Assembly wrapped up its short session. So the legislature is out of session. I'm happy to have with me a state representative from Southern Indiana, dear friend of mine, someone I've watched for many years in the legislative process, but uh, someone I've become a very good friend of. Many of you may know this state legislator. His name is Bruce Borders. Bruce is somewhat renowned because he got some attention when he first ran because he's a pretty well-known Elvis impersonator. He was on David Letterman one time, and he still does shows doing impressions of Elvis is quite quite good at that, but um, he's much more than that. He's a very serious policy person and a great legislator, someone who I admire greatly. He's pro-family, pro-life, and someone whose faith I share and uh, someone who I like to talk to on a personal basis about our struggles with the Lord and our struggles in the legislature and just the whole cultural uh, impact today, things going on in the culture. So it's great to have State Representative Bruce Borders on today. Bruce, thanks for joining us. That's great to be with you, Mike. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, I appreciate you having having you on. I know you're busy. You're, you're tell let's tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your district first of all. Um, I represent District 45, which is down in the southwest portion of the state. I start on the south end of Terre Haute, go all the way down, and I, I actually cover the entire city of Vincennes. Um, more of Knox County that's east of Vincennes over into um, uh, Bruceville and so forth, uh, Bicknell, and I also I have basically all of, um, uh, of Sullivan County, and I have parts of Vigo County, Greene County, Davies County, and Sullivan County. I'm, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Vigo, part of, the part of Knox, Davies, Green, and then all of Sullivan. I think I got that uh, squared away there. So you're kind of east of Terre Haute. Uh, actually, south of Terre Haute. Okay, okay. I start on the south end of Terre Haute. I pick up some Terre Haute addresses there in Vigo County, and then I go all the way down and pick up the entire city of Vincennes. Okay. Well, I know this is um, – how many – you were first elected what year, Bruce? Oh, gee was this was actually my 10th year, but I set okay. out for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, when they uh, redrew the maps, uh, quite frankly, I was drawn. I already had a really tough district, and from what I had heard, I had the – most heavily uh, Democrat district that a Republican held, and and then when they redrew the maps, I was drawn into a, an even tougher situation. Barely lost. I think I lost by 74 or 75 votes out of around 26, 27, 28,000, something like that. Decided to run again at the encouragement of some uh, brothers in the Lord, and uh, uh, anyhow, ended up winning the this, the second go around by 14%. So I'm really grateful, and I praise God for the opportunity to be back in service to the people of Indiana. But you tend to pick up a lot of Southern Democrat votes in your district because you're pro-life, pro-family, pro-Second Amendment, and that what we used to call Reagan Democrats, a lot of those folks vote for you and cross over, don't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Without their without their votes, I wouldn't be in here. Well, Bruce, the big issue, that, that at least from my perspective at American Family Association, we dealt with this session was the religious liberty issue. Now, it didn't make it over to the House where you are, but Senate Bill 344 did move through the Senate somewhat. It would have um, elevated special rights for homosexual behavior at the expense of the First Amendment and of um, 
religious liberty, in my opinion. But what was your thought? I know that a lot of guys in the house were watching that, expecting it to come over, perhaps. And I know you were ready uh, to speak on it and to work out. What was your thought on that bill as it was being debated? Well, actually, what's interesting, Mike, is that um, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, the battle is fought on a number of fronts, and and people may not be aware of it because you know that it's uh, uh, becomes a bit of a smoke and mirrors game up there sometimes. But there was still a very intense battle going on on the House side, um, as as um, I've shared with you. I was passing out copies of the book, uh, Outlasting the Gay Revolution, uh, a great book by uh, Michael L. Brown, a Messianic mm-hmm. Jew. Uh, who you know ha, who knows Christ as Savior and as Lord, and in fact you can go into like World Net Daily and uh, read an article about that uh, that were that Michael Brown had given an interview. But my goal was at least to fight the battle on my side of of the hallway, as we would call it, and to make sure that we did everything we could to to try to intimidate you know the Senate from passing it on their side. And and then what happened is that uh, Speaker Brian Bosma had announced the night before the Senate took their vote, that if we didn't have a majority um, of Republicans that would support Senate Bill 344, I believe it was 344, right? Was I think the, yes. the, the uh-huh. number on the bill. Okay. Um, if there weren't a majority of the Republicans that supported it, he wouldn't even call it or allow it to be brought forward for a vote. And, of course, part of that is, is you know, girding them, you know, providing them with the armor to know exactly what's going on um, with the, uh, the the LGBT language and, and so forth, and that's why I was passing out those books and working on our side of the aisle. So again, uh, and I don't want to you know say that that was the complete reason uh, why it stopped it on the Senate side because because the House wasn't going to hear it, but that was most certainly a factor in it. You know, a lot of times it's not just you know one issue uh, that, that causes a bill to succeed or fail. It's it's a combination of them. And that was part of the combination. You know, the senators looked over, said, "Wait a minute. You know, we've heard that this isn't going to pass the House. Why would you, we stick our necks out on the line if it's not even going to pass over out, pass on the House side?" And so, as a result, uh, they just weren't able to accumulate the votes. And, and again, I think, in all fairness to the the senators, the many of them that I've spoken to, uh, they felt that they were misled um, uh, last year on the uh, the RIFRA fix. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them felt, you know, kind of bitter about that, and they they were determined not to make that mistake again. Well, and Representative Borders, you were one of only six members in the House on the Republican side to vote against the refer fix. So I, I commend you for that. Appreciate Actually, you. Actually, there were only three of us. Oh, there are three. Okay. It was my, myself, Michael Speedy, and uh, and Kurt Nicely. You know, Kurt yes. Nicely. There okay. were three of us. Actually, yeah. Okay. Well, I know you took a lot of heat for that, but I think over time that proved to be the right vote. Um, oh, I've talked to so many of my fellow reps who regret that vote. They they said if there were one vote they wish they could have back, they would that would be one of them for mm-hmm. sure. Well, it's, it just sets such a bad precedent to have a bill rush through under economic terrorism or threats. That's not how our founders intended laws to be made. But speaking of that, and early on um, – I don't know if this resonated with, with legislators very much, but you and I talked about it quite a bit. I'm curious your opinion. Did the whole question of of um, the state constitution and whether or not 344 was a violation of that, did that ever come up? We have really strong language in India about religious freedom and religious liberty. I always wondered how 344 could have even passed that test. Is that off the wall for me to even say well, that? Well, 
you know, in fact, I, I uh, you know, I, I kind of thought that might come up, so I've actually got it sitting right in front of me right now. Section 1, uh, our, um, our, I'm sorry, Article 1, Section 3 in our state constitution says, no law shall in any case whatever control the free exercise and enjoyment of religious opinions or interfere with the rights of conscience. I, and there's no question that 344 and, and prior to it, Senate Bill 100, that they, they're completely in violation with Article 1, Section 3 of our Constitution. And, and also, uh, for, as far as that goes, with the First Amendment of our federal Constitution. And what bothers me is the fact that uh, I was talking to a senator who's also a brother in Christ, and he was sharing with me, he said, you know, some of, you know, some of the folks up there view the Constitution as just kind of, a, uh, kind of an obstacle that gets in their way from you know, just being able to plow right ahead. And I think that's that's the case here. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody could read that. You know, again, the Article One, Section Three, about you know control about no law controlling the free exercise of religious opinions or the interfering with the righteous conscience. How can you do that and even have a fine at all for people obeying um, you know their consciences and their and their religious opinions? I I can't even fathom that. And I, and I look at some of these ordinances that are being passed these human rights ordinances around the state, and these same officials, you know, whether they be mayors or city councilmen, they all swear an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the state of Indiana. And it's incredibly clear to me that they are violating that oath, they know they're violating it, and they simply don't care, you know. And, and, and they, they really should be booted out of office because what they're doing is the first act they do, their, their oath of office, they're swearing to, they're basically, you know, lying and seeing them saying, well, we, we, we know we took the oath, but we're not going to obey it. All right, if they're not going to obey it, get out of office. Well said. Well, thank you for staying for the Constitution. Thank you for staying for religious liberty. Bruce, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but what were some of the bills that you were involved in this session? And maybe, you know, a lot of times so many of the bills you deal with are locally motivated by your own constituents or maybe in some bills that you filed. I'm just curious if there was anything that you were – particularly working on closely this session? That uh, well, came up? actually, um, yeah, a couple of the bills that I had, um, well, there were two that I worked on. One of them I got passed, and then uh, fortunately, actually, the other one got uh, put in as an amendment by the Senate, and it uh, got attached to my first bill. So <laughs> two of the bills I was working on for our veterans uh, uh, actually uh, ended up uh, becoming, well, I'm hoping they'll become law. I, I feel certain the governor will sign them. But one basically allows um, members of the National Guard of another state, but who work here in Indiana, it allows them uh, the reemployment rights, basically the right to get their job back if they're deployed for 30 days or more uh, by a governor of another state. And, and an example of that might be, let's say that someone lives in Marshall, Illinois, which is right across the border mm -hmm. from Terre Haute, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Terre Haute's where the you know it's kind of the job uh, hub right in that area of the Wabash Valley. And so it's very common for people who live in, in uh, Marshall to go ahead and, and work in Terre Haute. Well, let's say that, that they do belong to the, uh, the Illinois National Guard. Um, let's say maybe they you know, once lived in Marshall, or let's say they maybe still do, but they work here in Indiana. Well, they, you know, they, if, if they get deployed um, on active duty, they're still you know, serving our nation. And what it does, and, and the employers were, were you know, A-OK -okay with this. They were fine with it as well. It gives them reemployment rights to basically say, hey, you know, when, when you're done with your active service, you know, we're going to bring you back into our employment fold. And so I was, I felt that was a, you know, one that that, that was uh, again 
uh, pro-military, didn't feel like it really interfered with business. In fact, the business people that I spoke with said, hey, that's kind of the least we can do for them. You know, we're, we're grateful for their service, mm-hmm. and, and we want to do that anyhow. And we just kind of codified or put into law what was probably already being practiced, but uh, that was one of them. Um, the other one that became a part of it by amendment on the Senate side, and I agreed or, or concurred with it, uh, had to do with what they call Medicaid waiver. Sometimes, you know, soldiers and their families happen to be on Medicaid, and a, a lot of times it has to do because of a child with special needs. Um, and what was happening is they, if they got deployed onto active duty, uh, when they came back to Indiana, they had lost their place in line. And so what it did is it basically said, hey, if you, you know, if you're an active, you know, if you're a soldier, you get deployed on active duty, um, uh, you know, when you come back to Indiana, you will not have lost your place in line because sometimes it's tough to get those Medicaid waivers, and particularly, like I say, there's a pretty long waiting list for children sometimes. And so it just as a courtesy says, hey, you know, we're going to hold your place in line for you. Well, you know, it's ironic. I, I know exactly where Marshall, Illinois is because I was born in Paris, Illinois, and the exit. Oh, is, sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I lived there yeah, 25 I didn't years ago. You were born in Paris. You don't even have a French accent. I know. I know. <laughs> so, Sorry, I couldn't resist. Well, let me ask you about one other thing, and I, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this or not, but we had um, Justin, and his last name skips my mind now, the head of Americans for Prosperity on the show, talking about the gas tax. That's, I know. That's, I think, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's it. And I know that yeah. you were one of the few who voted against it on the Republican side. Tell us about the gas roads bill that we're going to be hearing about. The reason I voted against it, Mike, is because, um, uh, you know, well, first of all, I, I do want to say this, and this doesn't this try to throw out, you know, a cover for my, you know, my fellow legislators, but I, I know many of them were, you know, trying to come up with at least some reasonable um, way of, of funding, you know, the infrastructure and so forth. I, I personally happen to believe that we had enough in our surplus to handle that without any tax increases, mm-hmm. but, but my biggest concern um, was that, you know, I know it's being touted that, that there are no new taxes in it, but the fact of it is part of it is, is allowing for a local wheel tax for, I believe, it's communities or cities of 10,000 and larger. So let's take Terre Haute, for example, Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, again, I use it just simply because I, you know, happen to live right in, you know, just south of it, about oh, 20 or 30 minutes, something like that. But... Vigo County, which is where Terre Haute is at, already has a wheel tax. All right, now the city of Terre Haute can adopt an additional one on top of that. And so my thinking is that, okay, just because I didn't raise the tax, I'm still giving somebody, you know, basically um, the ability to do that, and so I still feel responsible. You know, and, and, and so as a result of that, um, I just I couldn't vote for the bill. And another thing I have trouble with is the um, the regional cities money. I know uh, if you look, for example, at the Fort Wayne area, what it did is it put in 42 million dollars uh, to fund a third regional city that the governor wanted. But uh, what had happened is last year, I think we funded 84 million dollars towards two regional city areas um, for these regional development authorities, and 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 so. It was 42 million times two community was 84 million dollars. Well, then the governor, I believe, in late December, uh, recognized uh, St. Joseph County as as one of the regional city areas, and and so the legislature said, well, all right, you know, take the the 84 million and split it by three. 
well, they still wanted the other $42 million going there. Well, the road bill had that funding in it. But the problem that I have with the regional cities concept is that, um, you know, now that we've had a, a better chance to scrutinize it and take a look at it, quite frankly, is that what it does is it allows an unelected people, unelected bureaucrats, I guess for a lack of a better word, to basically borrow money um, and go ahead and issue taxes against that money they borrowed. So, again, if you look at the Fort Wayne area, all right, they got $42 million, all right. However, they've come up with a list of about $1.4 billion worth of projects that they now have on their list, you know, everything from, you know, public, uh, oh, like performing arts theaters and things like that. But, you know, that $42 million that the state funded, that's only 3% of the, of the $1.4 billion. And you've got unelected bureaucrats who can now go out and borrow money because what happens is 40% of the money that funds these projects comes from the taxpayers. The other 60% is from private enterprise. But I've heard, and I'll have to do some digging in to find out more, but I've heard that if the, the private investor who comes up with the 60% uh, doesn't, you know, if they, if they end up going belly up, um, that the taxpayers can then become, in essence, responsible for that 60% as well. So we're looking at basically 3% being thrown in by the state, but then some unelected bureaucrat being able to potentially uh, put the taxpayers on the hook for the other 97%. That was also part of this, this road funding bill, and that's just something I, that I, I simply could not vote for. Well, I appreciate you being there and standing up for taxpayers. I think it's correct to say, correct me if I'm wrong, are you the only former mayor in the state state house? Yes, I am. Okay. That's what, so you have a, perhaps a unique perspective on how this plays out at the local level. I, I do, and, and one of the problems that I have, uh, you know, Mike, is that, and I share this with my colleagues as well, and, I, you, know, it, you know, I argued sometimes I felt I was, you know, kind of, you know, throwing uh, – uh, throwing my voice out there maybe to no avail at, at, at sometimes, but one of the, the biggest problems that I have is that you know, I'll use the example of the um, the COPS grant under President Clinton that stood for Consolidated Omnibus Whatever. You know, government always mm -hmm. has these acronyms. They, right. They, they always have to have something that you know spells out Catchy. a word or what. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyhow, but what it did is it provided federal money to hire a police officers for a certain period of time. I can't remember if it was two years or four years. It was you know, somewhere between the two- and five-year mark, anyhow. But I had a president of a city council called me, and he said, Bruce, he said, you served as a mayor, right? And I said, yeah. In fact, I had served at one point as president of the Southern Indiana Mayor's Roundtable over the entire southern half of the state of Indiana. And he said, well, what would you do? He said, you know, would you hire additional police officers? And I said, well, and his name happened to be Dana. And he said, Dana, you know, can, can you afford these officers today? And he goes, no, we, we can't. I said, all right, what are you going to do whenever the, uh, the grant runs out? I said, now you're going to be stuck you know, with additional police officers that you cannot afford uh, you know, and that you will not be able to afford once the federal grant runs out. And then what will end up happening is you know, the odds are you guys won't have the political will to say, we're sorry, we just can't afford you, so you'll end up keeping them on board, and then you won't be able to pave your streets, and then you'll look for the state to allow you to raise taxes for paving streets. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Those ad additional police officers that they hired, they, he ended up voting no to his credit. The rest of the council voted yes. The mayor signed it into law. 
they have the additional police officers. Now they're struggling to pave their streets, and they want the state to allow them to give a more mm-hmm. leniency to raise taxes on the locals. And I still contend that it is, the problem that we have is that cities, towns, counties, or the state for that matter, it is not a problem of the government not having enough money to fund the things that it that it needs. It's a, it's a problem of prioritizing and getting rid of a lot of the stuff that it shouldn't be spending money on in the first place. Well, and that's exactly what the head of AFP said, which was just, uh, Justin Stevens, by the way, the head of oh, American Stevens, for Prosperity. sorry about that. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, and so he said that on his interview, too, was that, that it's not that there's not enough money, it's that we don't have controlled spending on the other side. But, uh, well, Bruce, I've kept you quite a while. I know you're busy. I appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate your stand in the legislature for um, lower government, smaller taxes, uh, life, family, and and religious freedom, and appreciate your friendship, too. Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, and I'll just share one last little thing. Sure. You know me, I've always got that last word in there, you know, but uh, when I was mayor, you know, the the Lord blessed us. We actually uh, were on the, the verge of bankruptcy as a city. We genuinely were. We were, you know, nearly ready to lose our gas utility and our water and sewage utility were struggling. And with the Lord's help, uh, we were able to take a city that was you know, nearly bankrupt and turn it around, and we paid off all of our debts 27 years early. And wow. so I, I guess what you know, now I, I will say that as a result of the, the, the slashing and the spending that I did, uh, the first year I was mayor, I think I was the most hated man in town. Uh, but when I ran for re-election, I got I think 77% of the vote. So, and that's in a very you know heavily Democrat community, mm-hmm. and I was running as a Republican. And so my my point being that um, you know I I think when you tell the people the truth, when you explain it, I, I wrote a weekly column called Insights and Foresights from the Mayor's Office. I really do believe that when you tell them the truth, that most people really are willing to say, Hey, wait a minute, you know I I agree with you. I'm willing to listen as long as we we share the truth with them we don't play smoke and mirrors and we don't play uh uh you know we don't play games with them and 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 i really believe that um you know as a result of of you know what our heavenly father has done for us we we have the you know we can't expect to do any less for the people that we represent and tell them the truth and uh and to me that's the most loving thing we can do for them i agree my dad used to say if you always tell the truth you won't have to remember anything that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Well, Representative Bruce Borders has joined us today on Indiana Family Forum. Bruce, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your service to Indiana. We'll have you back again sometime. Sounds good. It's great to talk to you, brother. Great. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indiana Family Forum. For more information on this and other topics that concern Hoosier families, visit us online at www.afain.net. That's www.afain.net.